My name is Bruce McKellar. I work with MSU Extension down in the southwest part of the state. And this morning we're uh, going to have a little bit different schedule than what we originally had planned for. Uh, Chris DeFonso was uh, graciously allowed us to uh, be able to uh, change around our schedule a little bit so that we could bring you a presentation from Roger Betts, who is our district farm management educator, to talk a little bit about crop insurance and more specifically um, due to the rain that we've had this spring uh, going into early summer, I guess now is that uh, well, maybe when we should be considering or things to consider between uh, taking a preventive planting versus uh, going with uh, a regular uh, uh, trying to plant late. So, uh, but first this morning, we'd like to get an update from uh, Dr. Jeff Andreessen to uh, get an idea about what the uh, what the weather outlook uh, looks to be here for the next little bit of time, as well as perhaps a little bit of a crystal ball view from Jeff in terms of uh, what the summer might end up looking like. So Jeff, if you're ready, we can start there. I'm ready. Thanks, uh, Bruce. And I'll try and do you have uh, my screen yet? Yes. Very good. Well, I think there is uh, certainly news to report on the weather front. Uh, we are looking, we, we talked about hints of changes last week uh, at the briefing. They're, they're definitely still there. And so uh, that in the longer term, certainly in the medium range term, we are, we are going to see uh, very, very likely some, some changes to the the, uh, it seems like a pattern that's gone on forever, but it's, it's really uh, several weeks of a, a very, very problematic uh, type of weather pattern across most of the central U.S. I'm going to start by looking uh, at the last week here, and this is, this is really a repeat of, of where we've been for the last several weeks. Uh, depending on where you were, there, the rainfall coverage in the state, even though in some areas was, uh, actually in some areas was very heavy, but it was more scattered and has been the case uh, over much of the last couple weeks. That's on the left here. Uh, you can see most areas picked up in Michigan between one uh, and two inches, but there were some exceptions to that. One of them, uh, notably uh, up here, the, the Frankenmuth area, some reports of uh, actually over four inches of rain. You can see that the little brown area here uh, in, in this uh, east central part of the state. But again, uh, it's, it's obviously above normal in, in most areas and uh, is on the top of, of what's been heavier than normal precipitation all the way back into the early spring. One of the stories that uh, is, is not as, maybe not quite as noticeable unless you were in the very southern part of the state was our, our temperatures uh, increased, especially across southern parts of the state. On the right here, our mean temperatures, this is a departure from normal. And depending, again, on where you were, there was a very, very strong north to south gradient across the state where we had warmer than normal mean temperatures, uh, especially across the southern couple tiers of counties in the state, uh, near normal in the northern lower, uh, and then still continuing cooler than normal across uh, central and western upper Michigan. So, again, this is a uh, well, this is a, a result of some of the, the weather pattern of where we've been here, and that's, that's where I'm going to go here next. But the big news overall, uh, we talked about changes. The uh, image on the left here is the uh, very, very, very persistent upper air or jet stream pattern across North America that we've seen for much of the last several weeks with uh, troughing out over across the southern U.S., uh, the western U.S., sorry, and then ridging over the southeast. And there are 
a fairly active northern branch or polar branch of the jet stream, which did influence especially northern parts of the state. And that, that leads or has led to that uh, temperature pattern that you just saw. But more importantly, uh, this pattern here with the southwesterly flow in the, in the Midwest has just led to one after another uh, weather systems moving uh, southwest to northeast across the region. Um, well, you've seen, I'm sure, uh, footage from all of the uh, severe weather and flooding. Uh, by last count, and, and almost difficult to keep up, but uh, 370 tornadoes just in the last two weeks. And I believe I, I did see a figure uh, annually in the United States, uh, 960 tornadoes thus far in 2019. And uh, if you're wondering where that, well, that's, that is way above normal. It's 200 more than we typically have in a whole year, uh, to give you an idea. So it's just an incredibly active uh, weather pattern. Michigan has been on the, really on the sort of the far northern and eastern edges or, uh, of, that, uh, of that pattern. Well, all that said, I mentioned changes. We finally can talk about changes, and the, uh, the, the forecast guidance has been hinting at this. This is, uh, this is the forecast upper air pattern as we look towards the end of the first week of uh, June, on the 6th of June, and you can see a very, very significant difference between the two patterns here, and we have the western trough basically uh, filling in and moving off and um, really the building of a ridge across the middle of, of North America. Michigan here in the Great Lakes region in northwesterly flow. And this is, there's still some question about to how this will eventually evolve, but depending on how close this ridge is, will we'll, uh, we'll have a lot of influence on our temperatures and mean temperatures. And I'll get to the medium range guides here in a moment. But uh, more importantly, it should really, really make a difference in terms of rainfall. And the Gulf of Mexico and all of the moisture with it over the last several weeks, that will be cut off uh, and we'll be looking at most of our weather systems from, again, the northwest. And that's typically for this time of the year, not a, uh, a wet pattern. So uh, if anything we can say, it should be, we should be looking at a drier type of, uh, of weather pattern here setting up across Michigan in the next, certainly within the next week. Uh, going specifically here to the, uh, the outlooks, and this, these are surface conditions here. This morning forecast at 8 o'clock this morning. Uh, there's an, and this, this weather map would have, would have worked last week. It would have worked two or three weeks before that. But yet another of the weather systems coming out of the southern Great Plains uh, right now centered in northern Illinois with this frontal boundary here, which has also been here forever west to east across the region. And, uh, of course, that frontal boundary is serving as a, focusing mechanism for showers and thunderstorms, and uh, the leading edge of some uh, subtropical ear to the south of it. And in some parts of Michigan, especially down uh, in the southeastern corner of the lower peninsula, uh, we've had, they've, the front has been north of them, and they've actually seen some 80-degree high temperatures here. That's, that's certainly the exception. Much of the state has been stuck in the 60s for some time. Uh, again, just depends on where you are. The, um, this weather system is expected here to, uh, to move off to the east and north uh, during the next 12 hours or so and bring us our, our next threat of rainfall, and that's actually happening right now as we speak uh, here this morning and will continue for the next several hours. Down in the lower right here, we have a radar uh, pick from uh, about 20 minutes ago, about uh, 6.20 this morning, and you can see the precipitation, mostly uh, scattered showers and thunderstorms. Those are going to move mostly to the east. So we can say one thing, this, is, this has also been common during the last week. Most of this rainfall activity will impact just the southern part of the state. I, I would say basically the southern half of lower Michigan 
and it will remain dry uh, going north of that. So that's an important distinction, and uh, most of the rain can find again to the southern part. Most areas that see rainfall, uh, we're talking about a quarter of an inch, possibly some one-half inch amounts, uh, especially as you get down towards the Indiana and Ohio border. Best chances in most of these areas will be uh, during the middle and latter parts of the morning into the early afternoon. Uh, we could see some showers fire up once again uh, in the far southeastern part of the state later this afternoon, but all of this activity should be coming to an end by, by late afternoon or early evening at, uh, at the latest in the eastern part of the state. So not a very, uh, not a very long system, and again, it, won't be, uh, it, it should not be any heavy rainfall, but another, and certainly enough to, to keep delays on where, uh, where, where the rainfall does occur. By tomorrow morning, we have high pressure uh, moving in. Uh, this is a Canadian origin high, high pressure air mass. Uh, one thing of note here too, uh, with cooler and drier air, it is possible in uh, some interior northern areas of the state, especially the eastern upper peninsula and the interior northern lower, we could see some patchy frost. But I, I, this is not a uh, widespread freezing event, uh, but it could cause, again, on some low-lying areas, we could see some some frost out there, wouldn't be surprised. It will remain a little bit warmer than that as you go down into the central and southern lower. Uh, no threat there. This is, again, all primarily just the northern part of the state. And then looking off to the northwest, you see the next weather system that will influence uh, the state beginning during the day tomorrow in far and northern and western parts of the state. But over most of the state, this will be an issue overnight Friday uh, into Saturday. Uh, and that's where we are here on Saturday morning forecast conditions. You can see that system moves south and east and brings uh, with it at least a threat for some scattered showers and thunderstorms. And just uh, has happened so many times over the last few weeks, this frontal boundary moves south into, uh, into lower Michigan and then stalls out. That, that's sort of the, the scheme here, although it, it looks like the threat for precipitation with this, this second weather system will probably be ending uh, late in the day on Saturday or by Saturday evening at, at the latest. But uh, And the other thing, uh, most areas with this, it will be scattered. It will not be widespread uh, rainfall coverage either, uh, but certainly one quarter to half inch amounts are possible with this uh, with this system where rainfall does occur, but not not as uh, heavy, not as extensive as many of the weather systems that we've, uh, we've observed here over the last couple weeks. After that, after that, we are looking at dry weather developing late Saturday, continuing Sunday, and then into early next week. Beyond that, I, it looks like the next chance for significant rainfall, not until uh, probably overnight Tuesday or more likely on Wednesday of next week, and that uh, also maybe not uh, such a major weather or rain producer either. The other uh, uh, other issue with this uh, change, it will be relatively cool. High temperatures are reaching around 70 in the far southern parts of the state as we move into the weekend and into early next week, uh, and in the 60s north, lows generally in the 40s and 50s. So it will be a few degrees remaining cooler than uh, than normal here, at least for the majority of the upcoming week. Tomorrow, Friday, will likely be the warmest day of the upcoming week, and, and it probably will be the nicest uh, weather day uh, with temp temperature, or we should see high temperatures well into the 70s over most parts of the state and even push 80 in the far southern part of the state before that, uh, that next weather system rolls in overnight Friday. So tomorrow, if you do have outdoor activities, that's, that's probably going to be the best day. Exception to that might be the, the far western and central uh, upper peninsula where where the system will be, be uh, reaching there a little earlier. Uh, what's in the rain gauge here for the next week? This is also a big change from our, our last several 
uh, briefings here, you can see a strong north to south gradient across the state, ranging from less, of a, less than a quarter of an inch up in the far northern parts of the state to uh, a half to three quarters of an inch, maybe a little bit more than that along the Indiana-Ohio border again. Uh, another note here, most of the rainfall depicted in this seven-day total will be falling over the next 48 hours or so. Again, that would be over this today and then uh, overnight Friday into Saturday. That's where most of this will be, and that's, that's why, again, we see most of the coverage and amounts in the southern part of the state. But after that, uh, again, definitely looking at a drier weather pattern. This is the uh, 8 to 14 day outlook from uh, the Climate Prediction Center uh, and NOAA for the 6th through the 12th. And that jet stream pattern that I talked about uh, here on the left, this is depicted in that outlook. And uh, again, it's leading to a, a significant change. If you look at the precipitation forecast over here, we have below normal indicated. There's a hint of that on the 6 to 10 day outlook as well. Uh, that's, I think that that is a good, there's strong bet at this point in time. Also note for mean temperature forecast, they do still have some uh, below normal temperatures, mean temperatures indicated here in Michigan. I would put a question mark on this personally. Uh, note that there's warmer than uh, normal temperatures or weather uh, right off to our west, even including parts of western upper Michigan, and also to our southeast. It would not take much here uh, to see us actually go to warmer than normal, especially during the second week of June, and maybe a little bit beyond that. So there's some uncertainty as to how this pattern ultimately evolves, but one of the solutions definitely calls for that ridge to move further to the east, closer to the Great Lakes, and if that happens, we will go warmer than normal uh, at some point, uh, again, during the middle, uh, maybe that second week or latter part of that second week of June. So, But definitely a change from where we've been. So summarizing here quickly, uh, another weather system, the same pattern, the same old, same old here for the next 24 to 48 hours. Uh, most of the rain note today uh, confined to the southern part of the state. Uh, fair and warm over most of the state tomorrow. Beautiful day for, for most areas. And then the next weather system moves in uh, late Friday into, uh, into Saturday with uh, the next chance for rain. But again, not widespread uh, or no widespread precipitation expected during that time frame. Uh, we do have scattered frost possible uh, this evening, and also this would be late in the weekend as well, but no widespread freeze, freezing temperatures. It would probably be mid to upper 30s if this occurs. And then finally, uh, again, as we said earlier, uh, the medium range forecast guidance is strongly suggesting a trend towards drier conditions at least, and certainly towards more moderate temperatures, maybe even warmer than normal conditions as we move towards the middle of June. Uh, and I'll end with, uh, Bruce mentioned the long lead outlooks. So we, we covered those a little bit last week, but those are still calling for the uh, equal chances for mean temperature for much of the summer. So no forecast direction on mean temperature, although it is expected to be cooler than normal over large portions of the Western Corn Belt to our, to our West. I think the bigger news is it still calls for normal to above normal precip totals uh, for much of the Midwest, including at least uh, Southern and Central portions of Michigan. And that's, uh, that's all I have if uh, anyone has any questions this morning. Thanks. Thank you, Jeff. Okay, so if there are no questions immediately for Jeff, if you want to throw those in the chat pod, you can. If not, uh, let's, let's move to Roger and talk a little bit about crop insurance. Bruce, where are we as far as growing degree days? Uh, the southern tier, at least in our area, we're, we're fairly close to normal. I, I have not looked across the entire state, Phil. I'm sorry about that. Uh, Phil, if you look at the degree day totals, that's, that's uh, Bruce is right. However, in the northern parts of the state, especially the upper peninsula, the northern lower, 
they're still lagging far behind. In some cases, two calendar weeks still behind. So it, it, it really it really varies greatly from south to north, but they're close to normal in the far south now. Okay, thanks, Jeff. Roger, uh, are you ready to take it away? Okay, Raj. Okay. There we go. Can you see my screen? Yep, looks good. Okay, very good. Welcome, everybody. <clears throat> from the uh, perfect year, from uh, from extremely wet to here comes a drought in, in July and August. So who knows? Uh, tough year, no question about it. Um, I've done some uh, some work. I want to thank uh, Elliot Alfredson is my crop insurance agent. I farm a little bit, some of you know. And so I've kind of got some examples for myself here. There's a FAST tool at the University of Illinois called FAST Docs. Anybody can download this. You run on an Excel spreadsheet. It's a calculator to help us look at uh, the preventive planning co uh, comparison and so forth. It's a partial budget uh, question. What's the expected revenues? What's the expected expenses and so forth? And so first I'd like to go through and explain uh, using the FAST tool how the calculations work for preventive planning. And so you say you've got a revenue protection program, an 80% policy, and say your APH, uh, trend adjusted whatever, is 160 on corn and 50 bushels on soybeans. Uh, the price is the spring price. You do not get to use the harvest option with preventive planning. And so the price will be $4, which is a, a spring price for your crop insurance on corn and 9.54 on soys. And then you use a preventive planning factor. And there's some options here. Um, the default is 55% on corn, 60% on soybeans, but a lot of producers may have bought up. It's a fairly cheap policy that you can increase the corn at 60%, increase your soybeans to uh, 65% as far as a prevent planning factor to calculate through. And so this, um, I, I tried to show the final planning date. In Michigan, make sure you're looking at Michigan versus Ohio versus Indiana and other states as far as these final planning dates. Uh, June 5th is the uh, uh, first final planning date for corn. And for soybeans, it's uh, June 15th. And then from that point forward, we lose a little bit uh, uh, each day 1% coverage. The preventive planning payment in this example um, is $282 on corn and $229 on soybeans. Notice the corn value is, is higher by about $55 or so, $50, $55 higher uh, than what soybeans are. So your corn preventive planting acres, for the most part, are going to be more valuable than what your soybean preventive planting acres. So you go through and look at what other costs you might have. And one idea uh, on weed control costs, maybe we do a cover crop. Uh, can fit in pretty nicely with this. There's some rules on when you can plant uh, when you can harvest the, the cover crops and so forth, uh, but there are some opportunities for that. You got your uh, insurance program uh, in there at the, at the uh, $18 and $15 the cost, and that returns uh, from the insurance is, is the $239 and the $189 in comparison to our challenger, which would be the uh, to go ahead and plan. So you look at the uh, planning date, say you plan on 610, and uh, for corn, uh, that late, that's about 15 days from now. I'm sorry, about 10 days from now. And uh, soybeans on the 20th, which will be 20 days from now. And so your insurance guarantee is reduced a little bit 
uh, it goes down 1% per day after that 6-5. Uh, so on June 10th, that's five days, and so that insurance guarantee is going to be reduced by, by 5%. Uh, I go through and look at some guesstimate and what kind of yield we're going to have. You talk to all the agronomists and so forth. we got lots of them online here. Uh, there's more to yield than just simply the planting date. There's lots of other weather considerations and so forth, what Jeff talked about, uh, what kind of weather we're going to have. Uh, worst thing you can do, of course, everybody knows this, I think, if you plant it wet and then it turns off dry, uh, those crops just don't grow very well, um, as, as, as we all know. There's lots of other factors, what the rain patterns are, what the heat units are, uh, those kinds of things, the variety, uh, those kinds of things. So if corn, uh, you end up with, say, a 65%, a yield would be 117 bushels on corn, uh, 43 bushels on soybeans. Suppose the harvest price ends up being, that's a futures harvest price, uh, used for crop insurance calculations. Uh, say that's four and a quarter and maybe up $10 on beans. Uh, take away a basis revenue, so your cash price is $4 on corn, $9.50 on soys. Uh, crop revenue, four sixty-eight dollars and $4.13. Notice that there's a crop insurance payment. Even though the revenue guarantee it dropped a little bit, and the revenue from the crop here is at 468, there is still a a, um, uh, a crop insurance payment that, that does come in. Notice that the um, the crop insurance number that's used is the four dollar twenty five cent because that's the harvest price for the cash price that you got was the uh, the, the four dollar price. So that's why you look at this and see the difference here. But the crop insurance would be calculated at four and a quarter because that's what the futures price is uh, for futures. That's what you use to calculate the crop insurance. So that's why there's a, a $20 payment on the crop insurance. Uh, even though it's planted late, you still do would have the crop insurance. It's just the level is reduced a little bit, uh, 1% per day, uh, as we go through that, that planting late, planting window. Okay, uh, another consideration is the market facilitation payment. I've got that in a dollar, uh, just to mention it. We don't know for sure uh, whether that has to be planted. There's talk about the original one that, that has to be planted acres in order to qualify for that payment. We don't know how much that payment is going to be. Uh, it's not going to be weighted heavily on soybeans like it was before. It's going to be weighted heavily on the on the uh, it's a county uh, uh, revenue amount, and it's based on your planted acres of all crops, a uh, long list of crops, not just corn, not just soybeans, as the first uh, market facilitation program was. So revenue, 489 on corn and 414 on soys. Uh, you go in and look at the direct cost of additional costs. you got to think about this. Now as your total cost reduction, but what cost are you going to incur uh, from this point forward? For example, in myself, I've already got my broadcast fertilizers on. Uh, the only thing I've got to put on is nitrogen and my and my uh, my planter uh, fertilizers. Um, soybean uh, fertilizers are all on. I need more fertilizer put on, so my extra cost is actually zero. Uh, some herbicides, pesticides, seed costs, uh, different kinds of costs. Machine hire, you can read the numbers. Uh, these are your pocket costs, not total costs. So think of it as a cash flow kind of a number. Uh, no depreciation, for example, is not in here because these need to be the variable cost. Here's cost yet to be incurred, 350 and 178, so expecting net returns per acre, $139 on corn, 236 on soybeans. And so as you can see, we can go back a little bit on this, uh, looking at the uh, at this planning date, 
it looks like if you're going to plant the soybeans with these prices and these yields would be better in terms of what the uh, expected returns would be almost $100 more from soybeans versus corn with those yield and price assumptions. This is a very nice uh, chart that goes through and looks at um, varying yields and varying um, uh, prices on, on crops. So this is looking at corn. And so here's uh, what I have, 117 someplace in here with those calculations. And basically what this chart shows is with the um, harvest price, what the crop insurance is figured on, and your cash price that you receive, and you can see where the kind of the break-even is. Uh, numbers in red mean that the revenue are above net return for preventive planning. So preventive planning is a better option if we're down in the white area where the red area, uh, colored area with high prices and high yields, of course, it makes more sense to plant corn uh, versus um, uh, go with the preventive planting. I think it's important to kind of look at this in terms of these um, uh, worst-case scenarios. Remember that you're going to uh, the preventive planting, you're going to be at the, uh, the, the, what was the number, two, back up the top here, uh, 239, sort of a net, 489 on soys. So we go back to here, look at the 239 number, which is right in through here and see where the, the break point is, uh, preventive planting versus the uh, go ahead and plant the crops and so forth. Notice that there's, um, you know, some differences here, but it's not an absolute. Anytime you get into the whites, you're going to meet this 239. And if we get into these 140 yields and uh, 4, 425 price for a cash price, 450 futures, uh, we start to get a little bit better with the, Go ahead and plant the crop and those kinds of things uh, versus uh, go to prevent plant. It's important to use your own numbers, of course, in trying to go through and calculate the, these values and try to figure out what makes the most sense for your, your particular farm. Um, we go down to, uh, uh, to soybeans now, same kind of scenario, and looking at uh, what kind of yields and what kind of prices and so forth from, from a matrix uh, standpoint. We get into the, the $10 uh, futures price. 970 price on soybeans, if it goes that high, uh, you can see where the, the, the points start making some more sense to go ahead and uh, plant the crop versus uh, uh, go with the printed planting. This looks like an aberration. It's not. Uh, what, what this, of course, the dollars aren't that much difference here. And notice on soybeans, really there's not a huge amount of difference. 173 uh, from here, clear up to 203. Kind of looking across your 206. Um, and the, um, uh, the numbers are not as drastic as it is in corn in terms of the differences, uh, whether you plant or don't plant. Uh, the difference here is the fact that crop insurance is starting to kick in. If you have a real low yield and you have a, a crop insurance, so that crop insurance kicks in, and crop insurance pays better at a $10 price versus a $9.70 price. So that's why there's an advantage. But the crop insurance, if we get really low yields because the crop insurance starts to kick in, if you plant the crop, even though it's a later planted uh, date and you still get uh, some revenue, and that's why that's a little bit better. Not a lot, 191 versus 188, 186. Well, that's, that's why that number shows there. It looks like a little bit goofy, but it's, it's really not. I had thinking about that for a while, why that actually works that way. So now let's talk about some rent plant rules. Uh, first late date, uh, plant late date is uh, after uh, June 5th on corn, 
after June uh, 15th on soybeans. Uh, the revenue guarantee is reduced 1% per day. It's not your yield directly. It's the revenue guarantee is reduced 1% per day. The last late plant dates for corn are 625, and, and soy is July 10th. And so this reduction is 20% from the 5th of June to the 25th of June on corn, and from the 15th to the, to the 10th of July or 25 days on soys, that we can have this 1% reduction per day. Um, here's some little rules. There's 72 hours report that I can't plant. That is to the crop insurance agent. That's after the 625 date or the 710 date. So we got lots of time to report uh, that you can't plant, but there's a catch here. The FSA, you must report prevent plant to them by June 20th. And so we've got two different dates here. They're conflicting with each other in terms of when you must report uh, when you're late on a prevent plant. So the answer is, uh, that's the FSA and the Toyota that's for, uh, for corn. Uh, it's 15 days, and soybeans would be 15 days after the after the 15th, be June 30th uh, for FSA. And so you got kind of two rules. You go in and report, hey, I can't plant. You call them or send them a text or something, hey, I can't plant. And then when you do your final crop report, you have to say, well, I did get it planted. So that seems a little uh, uh, unusual or not unusual for the government and so forth, but just uh, it's, uh, conflicting numbers and conflicting dates of when you got to do that. Uh, this is a, a catch. You have to have at least 20 acres or 20% of the insurable crop acreage in a unit, uh, whichever is less. And so this can kind of catch you because if you're, uh, you know, going out there and you plant part of a field and you go back and plant a little bit more and maybe you end up with 18 acres uh, that you don't get planted out of, a, out of 200 acres in that, in that particular unit uh, or your crop unit and so forth, and you're not going to be able to qualify on that 20, 18 acres because it's not 20 acres. And so that 18 acres of no plants is going to be weighted in with your yields. And so you're only going to have 180 acres of planted crop, but that yield will be divided over 200 acres in, in my example uh, because you don't have. So you want to make sure uh, if you're going to go prevent plant, I think you're going to go prevent plant, is make sure you've got at least 20 acres or 20% of that insurable unit. Uh, that can catch some people and surprised. Um, the acreage that you can use, okay, I'm going to plant everything in the corn this year because corn pays better on, on, uh, on crop insurance or for the plant plan. You got to have the, at least, uh, that many acres planted, uh, at least one time within the last four years of corn. There are some rules and guidelines if you picked up new farms. I learned that uh, yesterday talking to my crop insurance agent, you know, at Alfredson. Uh, some rules, uh, no harvest option with, with friend and plan. In other words, the four dollars on corn and the nine fifty four on soys uh, will be the price that's used for preventive planting. So you don't get that uh, kick up at the end of the year if we have higher prices. What it looks like we might have right now. Uh, you can also lose your enterprise unit classification. That's a big deal to a lot of farms, a lot of farmers. Um, <clears throat> so you might because the enterprise units is based on planted acres, and so. Say your crop insurance quotes and so forth are based upon an enterprise unit, and then you go and uh, decide not to plant that one field. Well, that may throw you out of your enterprise unit. Now the 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 you only got one uh, one uh, township uh, with uh, or uh, I'm sorry, one section with uh, with corn in it versus two sections, and so now you're going to be kicked out of the enterprise unit. Uh, uh, lower cost of insurance. 
Um, so in two sections, same counting, so for 20 or 20% and 18-80 examples, what I just went through. Uh, you must be planned to qualify for the for the uh, enterprise unit. It's not just on what you intend to plan. Uh, SCO, the uh, supplemental co coverage option, which is a county base, and a lot of people did buy this this year. Uh, it's a bonus on top of uh, your regular crop insurance. Effectively, it's a 14% uh, additional coverage based on a county average yield. Uh, that's um, it's void without being planted. So just because you have prevent plant, your SCO option is going to be kicked out, and that's a 14% uh, loss of potential uh, income uh, protection on your crop insurance uh, because of uh, you didn't plant the crop. So keep that in mind in terms of uh, additional protection. With, with so many counties being planted late, uh, you know if they do get planted. Uh, and then it does get planted late, well, then the uh, average yield might be lower. But if, on the other hand, if you don't get any more corn planted, and only the corn that is in the ground is what's counted for the yield, we could have phenomenal yields. Uh, and so it's a kind of an interesting situation. Um, our facilitation program, too, uh, we don't know for sure what's going to happen with that, so I've got some question marks behind that. Uh, abandoned products. Uh, those are Those are products like, Insurance companies may have some special item that they've added on, and it's not uh, RMA subsidized, USDA subsidized, uh, banded products as a term. Uh, those are based on planted acres, and so if you don't have planted acres, you may not qualify for some of those uh, quote-unquote banded products. Other factors to consider, uh, future APH yields, if you plant the crop, and that's going to be your yield, and it's going to be like my 117 bushel corn, in my example I had, I don't necessarily like to have that in my APH yields for the future and so forth. Um, what's the risk? What's the reward? Um, one point is there's, uh, you know, there's always a lot of upside potential. Uh, if we do get high prices, if we do get good yields, we plan it on the 10th of June uh, with corn, and you still have, you know, all the other growing conditions are really good for the year, you may, I emphasize you may end up with pretty decent kinds of yields. Uh, there's lots of studies done in, in Indiana, Ohio, about late planting dates uh, on the average planting date, uh, for a, and it's not really highly correlated with the actual yield for that state uh, if there's um, some planting delays in the spring. Uh, getting out of your hedges to rise in pre-sold positions. I have uh, more corn sold than what I've got planted right now, and so I, I backed out of some of those uh, positions. Uh, you got some choices whether to roll forward or to eat it now. I decided to eat it now. I started to get where I was out of the money on, on some tools, and so I decided to roll out and get out of those things. That may or may not be a good decision, so now I'm speculating sort of true hedges, but if I don't plant the crop, then it can't be delivered on the crop. And I don't plant as a crop insurance, so I'm going to be, uh, uh, if you plant for the for the high prices, uh, that's increasing an awful lot of risk. So I got out of those positions that I didn't concern about what I could actually deliver on those contracts. There's lots of other questions in terms of this, whole preventive planted area, um, and uh, I'm just kind of, it's a different animal. I need to talk to your crop insurance agent to kind of understand the things. Uh, I've got irrigated corn and dry land corn both on uh, in three different counties. I'm not that big a farmer. I just have a farm right in the corner. And so I've got different decisions, different percents. I've got anywhere from 50% policies uh, up to 80% policies. So the 50% policies, uh, there's not very much revenue protection offered with those things. Uh, the 80% policies are, are, of course, a lot more revenue protection. So I've got 
lots of things to think about in terms of which acres to try to focus, uh, to try to get planted. Uh, take homes is not a simple answer. It depends. Uh, if can you, I think you certainly want to try to plant corn up until June, uh, June 5th. Uh, plant soy through the June 15th so we start getting into those reductions. Uh, take preventive planting on the balance, maybe. Uh, depends on what this weather is going to do uh, and so forth. I think, yeah, you good agronomic common sense on things. And, but, yeah, we need to try to produce a crop if we can. Uh, prevent plant on corn is more bad than what it is on soybeans. And so you want to try to, to get as many uh, grant plant corn. So that kind of says uh, there's some, even though you get later in the year, you're going to want to switch to the soybeans and where that's around the, the 10th of June, something like that. Uh, if you got a choice to plant corn or soybeans and you're worried about the yield on corn, uh, you might go ahead and go to prevent plant on, on corn and then skip on the, and, and then plant the soybeans versus the corn. Uh, depending on additional cost, price projections, projection yields, you'll want to switch from planting corn and soybeans. And that's the point I just tried to make. Um, so that's what I got in terms of the um, uh, presentation. The amount of time we've got to talk about it. Uh, it's Innovation Day coming up on July 26th, which is in our slides. And um, there's a uh, thank you for attending. And there's a uh, someplace there's a survey thing. So uh, with that, Bruce, I'll turn it back over to you. Questions? Thanks, Roger. If anyone has any questions for Roger. Okay, well, I just want to thank Roger again for uh, for putting this together on the fly. I know it was uh, kind of a late ask, and boy, we, we've been uh, scrambling to try to get things around for the last couple of days to do this, so I appreciate that. Please do click on the link uh, to in, in the chat pod to uh, fill out our evaluation for this program. Also, I just want to remind everyone, I want to thank Chris DeFonzo, who was, was regularly scheduled to talk today and talking about early season insects. Chris is going to join us on August 1st to be able to uh, provide us with an update on several things on insects that, that uh, are pretty interesting. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that presentation as well. Bruce, Again, Bruce there, was a, there was a comment in the chat that someone was looking for the web address for the app that okay. was used. Yeah, and that's I, it. Uh, farm Docs. Uh, if, you, if you Google, oh, man, I, don't, I, should, I should have thought of that. Um, how are we going to do this, guys? Oh, oh, I, we can do it here momentarily. I can put it back up on the, on the link. Why, if you want to talk a little bit about what that is, Roger, let me see if I can get to it. I, I've got it up and running right now, actually, so it's right here. I still got okay. my screen on. Uh, that's the tool. University of Illinois Farm Docs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you can. Yeah, you can so, so if so, if someone is just is just listening on their phone, if you give them something to Google, then right, they can be right. able to find it as well. Yeah, no. Yes. So I guess that's kind of the way we've done it in the past: is to look at either the the fast tools from University of Illinois or to look at uh, Farm Docs at University of Illinois, and that should be able to help you. Uh, uh, get to those and you have to, several different uh, uh, subcategories under there but crop insurance is one of those yeah um, there's several it's a very good tool and yeah, make sure you get into to the Michigan part of it and so the uh, main menu is here and here's a plan calculator and you can pick your county or your state and in your county 
and it'll it'll figure out some numbers and plug in your values. Um, uh, there is the link in the chat box. Okay, you got for the tool. All right, thank you. Okay, well, if there are any other further questions, uh, uh, share them now either on the on the uh, over the microphone or on the chat box. If not, uh, we will go ahead and uh, call this close. Thanks again to Roger for putting this together and uh, on short notice, and we appreciate that. And good luck, everyone, in terms of trying to make those decisions. We know it's not an easy situation. Certainly. Uh, the southern tier of Michigan has been been very wet this uh, the last uh, few weeks, especially, and with more rain on the way today, it's gonna it's it'll definitely push us in towards uh, next uh, into that June fifth deadline for corn anyway. So people will be thinking about that for sure. Remember, Thank it's just a one one percent drop per day after that. It's not a drop dead date. Uh, that June fifth. Okay, well, thanks, everyone.